Well, we are set up for an all-time Ashes classic with Australia needing 174 runs with seven wickets in hand to win the first test. Absolute corker in prospect. I'm Menes. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Paul, what a rip-roaring fourth day and sets up the fifth day beautifully. Absolutely, Menes. G'day, everyone. The more I think about it, the more I realise how much... um, we owe to Brendan McCullum, especially, and to a lesser extent, Ben Stokes. The um, the manner in which England is playing has made this series so captivating. And I, as much as I've always loved Test cricket, have always been aware of the fact that it's a, a high barrier to entry to a new person who's never watched it before. The only two series that I've excluded from that were the Australia-India series of 2001, and the Ashes of 2005, they stood on their own merits, of, even if you'd never watched them before uh, and had none of the sort of uh, love for Test cricket, I still think you would have got into it. I'm quickly putting this one into that category, even despite Pat Cummins' defensive fields that have resulted in some boring, easy singles. The rest of it, I, I just wish this was on Sky, on BBC um, in the UK because I think this level of Test cricket I think it's the best version of the of the of the sport in the world, even for the uninitiated. It's more entertaining than T Twenty. Well, I agree with that. The context and the entertainment value's been out out of the park. And I mean, let's let's go through the day because I mean, you know, you talk about entertainment. We knew what we were going to be in for from the very first ball of the day. All this tension, England two for 20 odd, Australia swarming, the Australian Pat Cummins with the ball in his hand coming into Joe Root. What's going to happen? And Joe Root, first ball of the day, decides to try and ramp, reverse ramp Cummins for six. He doesn't make contact, but the the intent shown there, I think, laid down a marker that England were going to come out and be positive. And it was great. And then just a few balls later, he jumps down the wicket to bowl and eases him through mid-wicket for four. They bring Carey up to the stumps to stop that happening. He then reverse ramps the next ball from Boland over the slips for six and reverse ramps the next ball um, for, for, for four. And I think the next ball plays a, a very... Con- I think he lets the next ball go, then plays a very controlled cover drive for two um, off the next ball. It's just... Um, We've never seen anything like it before. Contrast that, and I'm not criticising Kawaja, but with the, well, I kind of am a little bit with, we we criticised him for being a bit slow on day three, resuming after a century, scoring hardly any runs in that first session. But I've seen Kawaja in T20 cricket hit the ball as aggressively as anyone. If he had come out on that morning of day three um, with the sort of uh, baseball mantra, then we would have seen a very, very difficult, very, very different outcome. Um, I think it's the most entertaining way to play, and I think it is the most pragmatic way to play as well. And I think that other sides should start copying Basball. He is right. So let's go through England's second innings. They were bowled out for 273, setting Australia 281 to win in the fourth innings, which is one short of the total Australia was set in that famous 2005 Edgbaston Ashes test. So history beckons for both of these sides. I did see Stuart Broad in the press conference afterwards, um, almost pleading for the match not to go down to one or two runs because he's worried about what it'll do to his heart um, out there. And, you know, Jimmy Anderson is getting a bit old, so you've got to be careful about those things. Um, but, look, let's look at this England second innings. 
I thought Australia actually bowled really well. I don't think some of the fields were great, but I thought Lyon and Cummins bowled exceptionally and they kept pegging England back. As soon as, you know, Root Root made 46, Brook made 46, Stokes made 43, those three players had the potential to take this game away from Australia and get that target to around 350. But I thought Cummins and Lyon were just outstanding with the ball. I tend to agree. I think Australia bowled well in spite of the um, insipid fielding uh, positions. I understand how difficult it is when you're being attacked from all quarters with the bat and that the the feeling of, well, if we don't plug the runs, then this total could uh, assume monstrous proportions very, very quickly. And having so much experience of white ball cricket, the instinct is just to put the feel back. But I still just don't think it's the right thing to do because there were times there when they were bowling to uh, even even towards the tail at the end. And you're thinking, unless they get a bold or an LBW or there's a, a sort of a, a poor shot played, there's not that many ways that they are actually going to get the batter out. And again, there were just so many easy singles. I think that they had to bite the bullet, keep the field up and back themselves to say, hey, we've been going on about, you've tried Bazball against others, but you haven't tried it against our quality lineup. Let's let our quality lineup show what they actually can do. And if you can smash us all over the place um, repeatedly and not allow us to break through, well, then, yeah, you've you've won the day. But I would back our bowlers to, sure, get hit for a few boundaries, but then, oh, he's nicked one through. And um, I'm very disappointed that that's not what was done. So some highlights from the England innings, um, second innings. So Ollie Pope, he, he batted nicely, got to 14, and he, he was sticking with Joe Root early on on the fourth day, but then Cummins bowled a beautiful in-swinging Yorker to cannon into his stumps. That was a terrific delivery. And then not long after, when the score was 129 for four, Joe Root came down the pitch to line and was stumped by Alex Carey for the first time in his test career. Now, I know you don't pay any um, thought to keeping skills, Paul, but I thought that was a great stumping from line because the ball was sort of close to Root's body and um, an excellent piece of work. And, you know, once Root headed back to the pavilion, I was feeling a lot better. I know I pay enough attention to keeping skills to know that Lyon's not the keeper. It's Carey's the keeper. Oh, Carey's um, the keeper. Lyon's the bowler. <laughs> and that's, a, um, that's not true. Of course I pay attention to keeping skills. I just don't think that they are as um, as highly important as, as, as sometimes people make them out. But let's not have that debate. Yeah, it was a, it was a very good um, piece of keeping. And Carey has clearly outkept Bairstow in this game. And that has uh, definitely helped keep Australia in it. And then Harry Brook made a, a quick fire 46. He was caught by Labashane off the bowling of a lion for 46. Then Bairstow came out and played a more reserved innings, got to 20, but then was plumb in front from Lyon trying a sweep shot. And that made the score six for 196. Um, Bairstow reviewed it, but it was a, a bit of a shocker. It was going on to, to hit the, the middle of the stumps. Um, so at that stage, Australia, you know, six for 196 had reduced England too. And then um, Stokes was out. Beautiful ball by Cummins going around the wicket, wrapping Stokes on the pad, plum LBW for, well, not plum, it was just clipping the stumps, but out for 43 off 66. And at seven for 210 with the lead under 220, Australia probably favourites at that stage. Um, 
What did you think of that middle period? It was a frustrating time for Australia because they had a few reviews that were rejected. Um, I don't think they've quite worked out DRS yet. There was one review that missed the bat. Was it off Robinson by about a foot and they went went and referred it? I, I don't know how they referred that one. Well, because Kerry, I mean, he's mainly played AFL. You can't expect him to know complexities <laughs> like the court behind rule. Well, how would he have expected to know that? <laughs> It's true. I mean, there were just some shockers. And and the other thing that was compounding it, DRS was taking hours to bring up the replay. Um, I don't know what was going on, but there was a couple there that took minutes and minutes and minutes to get ball tracking. So I think Sky Sports could just hurry up that truck a little bit. It seemed to take forever. I don't think it took hours or minutes and minutes and minutes. There were, a couple of them were a little bit slower, but that's always happened. Occasionally you get ones that are a little bit... Um, quirky and they take a little bit longer i think um i saw um, a very very ill-advised tweet by someone who shall remain nameless implying that there was something some sort of shenanigans going on and i hope that the <laughs> the tweeter has reconsidered their position <laughs> i was just throwing that out there to wind a few problems I up I, think, uh, I was saying that they were animating the ball tracking in the truck unfortunately though that was quickly dispelled by well the ben stokes lbw that was just clipping on DRS, and if they were animating, it wouldn't have been hard to just nudge it a little bit away from the stumps. Um, so, um, so the score seven for two ten at that stage, and then the last, the last three wickets put on sixty three. Annoyingly, Ollie Robinson scored twenty seven, um, Broad ten not out, Jimmy Anderson twelve. It was an interesting passage of play when Robinson came out. They started bowling short to him. He took it. He he got in behind everything. You didn't see him running to square leg like when he was playing at Hobart. Um, and he, he yeah, he, he batted well for his 27. There was one good over from, uh, great over from Josh Hazelwood, who didn't bowl much, but they brought him on. And in his first over, he created three chances. Uh, Robinson was almost caught in close. Then Moen Alley was caught behind a terrible pull shot. And so that was a big wicket for Hazelwood. And then two balls later, Broad was dropped by Smith at Gully, a very tough chance running um, a long way to get one hand to it. But, yeah, I thought Hoff, Josh Hazelwood is probably the best bowler if we're going to go short at them. I mean, I can't. you can't talk about Smith dropping that. Most people wouldn't have laid a hand on that. That was... Um, oh, yeah, well, yeah um, it wasn't a... It was like a quarter of a chance, I would say. Further to your point around the catching percentage, that on most teams, they wouldn't have touched it, so it wouldn't have affected their catching percentage. Ours, um, because he got a hand on it, it probably did. Um, I just thought that the way that we bowled to Robinson was so predictably stupid. I think it's the stupidest piece of captaincy I've ever seen from an Australian captain. Um, and I'm really disappointed with Cummins. Um, and, I, you know, I, I, again, echo that you you correctly highlighted his on-field tactical uh, lack of nous as a concern, and I didn't think you were right, but I stand corrected. That was diabolical, they, the way they bowled to Robinson. It was so predictable that, sure, absolutely, it's satisfying to want to knock his head off after the comments he made to Kawaja. I get that. But what's more important? Um uh, writing a, a perceived um, uh, sort of slice that no, you know, that none of them were really all that bothered about, or actually trying to win the game of cricket, uh, just bowling bouncer after bouncer after bouncer to him. Um, I just thought it was pathetic, and I think it reflects terribly on Cummins and on McDonald. Um, 
and on Smith, on all of them, and on the bowlers. Someone should have said, no, I'm not going to bowl. Bowl one bouncer if you have to. But the, the first ball that he should he faced should have been the same Yorker that um, Cummins uh, bowled to get Pope out. I know that was a fantastic ball. You can't always replicate it. But later on, they did bowl that ball to Robinson, and he kept it out because he was in by then. Um, I just think it was deplorable the way that they bowled to him. Yeah, I thought it's the wrong pitch to go short at Robinson for too long. It's too slow. You got to, if you want to square up, wait till you get on a quicker pitch where you can hurry him up. I don't mind short balls to Broad and Anderson because they don't like it, but I think Robinson's a little bit more equipped with the bat to deal with it. So I agree with you on that one. Um, Reminds me of the um, famous 74-5 Gabba test where in the first innings, they were so Tomo and Lily were so intent to try to knock um, Tony Gregg's head off that he smashed them all around the ground and got 100. And, Ian Chappell said to them, is there any danger you guys could try to get Greggy out rather than knock his block off? And in the second innings, Tomo unleashed the sh- a sand shoe crusher and got him out for a duck. Um, you know, we, we'd be better off having Ian Chappell as captain, 80-year-old on the phone from Sydney as um, captain rather than Cummins. With Cummins, I just want to reiterate, because it frustrates me when I see stuff and I get messages from my friends. My criticism of Cummins are purely tactical. He's a great guy. I have no issues with anything he's done off the field. I think all this woke captain is bullshit. Um, it's just a technical, a, a captaincy tactical thing. Um, I have, I'm not going to buy into any of that. I'm sick of people sending me messages. Oh, the woke captain. I mean, find me evidence of what he's actually done that's... Um, egregious or you know people say he's used his position as Australian captain well that is just BS um well he should be using his position as Australian captain and he has been yeah I'm the same like I I had the same thing I I sent out this criticism of his fielding positions and someone uh retweeted it in glee and I looked back at his other comments about criticizing uh Cummins's political stance well for the record um climate change is the biggest challenge ever facing humankind Cummins' off-field stuff is fantastic. His on-field stuff I've got a significant problem with now, regrettably. All right, so let's get back on the field. Um, so England finished 273 all out. Pat Cummins, 18.2 overs, 4 for 63. I thought an immense day with the ball for him. Josh Hazelwood, 10 overs, 1 for 48. I don't think was used enough, actually, throughout the day. Nathan Lyon, 24 overs, 4 for 80. Great bowling from him. Uh, Scott Bowling, 12 overs, 1 for 61. Expensive. I think you'll see Stark come in for him in the second test. And Cameron Green, just the two overs. Just on that, that, um, Bowling has had a very disappointing test match. And in hindsight, yes, uh, it would have been better off having Stark in there for him. I hope he's not dropped like a a, a rock now that... it shouldn't be up to him to con- consistently have an average of 15. It's okay to have a bad test match. I I think he bowled poorly. I don't think he was at all helped by the really terrible fields that Cummins was was setting for him. And, yeah, what you said, Menace, has come to pass, that um uh, his predictability can, can make him uh, vulnerable. But I think that that predictability, if it's backed with proper fielding positions, yeah, sure, they can jump it down the wicket and slap him around a few times. I think... Uh, if with, with enough catches in place and enough single protection, that's a very difficult thing to sustain. But when you've got the field spread everywhere and they can pick and choose and then take easy singles off the other balls, then it's much more difficult. Having said that, I don't think he's bowled well. Agree. All right, now let's get on to the Australian innings. Needing 281 to win. The fifth ball of the innings, 
Jimmy Anderson draws the edge of Usman Khawaja. And Johnny Bairstow in first slip, I think Ben Stokes just stood there and the ball went between them for four and Khawaja gets the life in the first over. I mean, that, that is huge, Paul. Can you imagine we're, we're, none, we're one for none with Khawaja out and broad bowling to Warner? Just a totally different game. I'm actually applying Hawkeye to it. And uh, if Ben Folks was there, he would have parried it for six, actually. So uh, Best actually saved them two runs. <laughs> you idiot. Um... <laughs> I, I apologise. I withdraw that remark. Uh, yeah, look, another... another. That was a, a pretty difficult one, um, but I you would have expected the keeper to be diving for it. Yeah, it's certainly one you would be going for when you're trying to win a test match. Um, so after that, then a lovely opening partnership between Warner and Kawaja, and you can really see the pitch isn't that difficult to bat on. I mean, there's no demons in it. We saw the way the England tail, and, you know, Australia's streaked to none for 61. Um, beautiful opening partnership. I thought Warner looked good until... The, the bad guy of the England team, Ollie Robinson, steamed in around the wicket and found the outside edge of Warner just slightly playing away from his pad. Besto took an easy catch and Warner was out for 36 and a big breakthrough for England. Just opened the door in that last hour um, before stumps and then, well, a double strike by the great Stuart Broad. Manus Labuschagne caught behind for 13 off Broad and then Steve Smith caught behind by Broad, caught behind by Best off Broad for six and that left Australia three, well, three for 89 when Scott Boland came out the crease to um, be a bit of a night hawk there and save the batters. But those three wickets were just massive, Paul. Yeah, and it's around that point that you really wish it had been on free-to-air television in, in England, like the... The atmosphere, the, the the just the feeling of it, and the noise, the, you know, the the numbers one and two best batters in the world being knocked over in quick succession. It's not much fun as an Australian, um, but seeing it kind of looking through neutral or English eyes, uh, gosh, it was it was a captivating period. I mean, I was disappointing Labuschagne. I was kind of defending him in the first innings for the one that he played. This one, I know Broad went wide on the crease, but geez, it was a long way outside off stump. And, um, but just the Smith one, like the, you know, he's nicked it straight away and, um, straight away thrown his bat under his arms in the sort of old fashioned way of getting the gloves off. It was a, it was a really powerful moment. It must've been, must've been pretty cool as an English fan watching that. Yeah. There were some allegations that Ollie Robinson may have given Steve Smith a send off. So I'm going to go through their footage with, uh, a forensic lens a bit later on, just on the, the skill of Stuart Broad. I mean, that was terrific bowling to be sort of pushing the ball in towards the right handers and then to just get the ball to just slightly shape away to both Marnus and Steve Smith. I mean, they were terrific deliveries to get them out. They're very good batters and he forced them into an error. So, you know, huge win for Stuart Broad. He is built for Ashes cricket. And um, yeah, that, that was, I mean, Marnus didn't have a great game either did Smith and, you know, all to play for the middle order. Now, what, what did you think of Warner's performance? I thought he looked good. Yeah, and I, I think he's done enough, uh, hopefully, to to uh, continue in the side longer than this. I'm sure he will be picked for Lords. And I reiterate what I said, that I wouldn't be rushing to bring Marcus Harris into the side because although he's a decent player, I don't expect that he'd be doing um, any better than Warner. It's the sort of innings that, you know, a tough 30-odd in, in those conditions. It's, it's a frustrating score, a bit like his first innings in the World Test Championship. 
but um, I think he's he's shown enough to um, to, to definitely to, to persevere with. But yeah, it's still it's disappointing. Um, I really think Australia's up against it now. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating um, final day. Bit worried that when they do come out, it's going to be under leaden skies because there's um, heavy rain predicted early early morning, tapering away to kind of um, hopefully fine weather from about um, around about lunchtime or, or thereabouts. So. When they do come out to, to play eventually, presumably after an interruption, um, it could be one of those um, grey atmospheric days where the bowling is, um, you know, the, the, the din of the crowd and uh, the ball moving around. It's a difficult place to sort of begin with um, when, you, when you're looking to, to, to knock off another, um, however many runs they need. How many they need more now? Um, uh, 174. 174. Jeez, it's a long way away. So Kawaj is 34, not out. Boland is 13, not out. I do agree with you. A, a lot hinges on the weather for me because if the ball is swinging, I think you'll see Anderson come into the game more. He's looked a little benign without the overhead conditions to assist him in the, the latter stages of day four. So, yeah, I'm expecting a thrilling, thrilling conclusion. to this It doesn't take too much time from the final day. I, I yeah, I'm confident. Hair green, carry. I, I think Australia's. I think Australia's going to do it. I really do. So I think it's going to be one nil Australia. I'm nervous, but um, yes, if if the weather's decent, then I think Australia get over the line. If it's cloudy, well, we might see something like Edgbaston 2005. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great if we did see that. That's the the best game of cricket I still think I've seen. The 2019 one uh, at uh, Headingley was was probably a lot along the lines of that one, um, but um, yeah, the forecast, as I said, for looks like if you can ever trust the forecast over there, the, given the sort of thin nature of England and the weather moving so hurriedly, but it looks like it will be drizzling and raining early on in the morning, and saying around about midday it should stop. If there's enough rain around, might be a bit of time to clean it up, but yeah. Um, it might be coming out um, in those difficult conditions, potentially even with the lights on for a while. I think it's going to fine up then as the afternoon goes on. So we should be in for a grandstand finish. It still shouldn't be a draw. Uh, I say that in, in inverted commas because the forecast changes so so rapidly over there. But based on the current forecast, it shouldn't be a draw. It should be um, a win either way. And I'm pessimistic. I'm not as optimistic as you. I, I think that England are in the stronger position. Agree, England have a, a big foothold in the game, especially in early wicket on the fifth day. All right, well, that's it for our wrap of day four. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, I've got a, I'm going to be maybe jumping on YouTube Live throughout the fifth day. I've got the house to myself. So um, party time at Shea Manor's tonight for this fifth day. <laughs> um, but thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back soon. <laughs> This is a Piccolo Podcast production.